got a funny fella. Running amidst the trees. Who's there? I said as I stood in my head. And nobody answered me. Welcome to Episode 6 of the Fringeworthy Podcast, the only interdimensional exploration podcast. Tonight, we're going to be talking about all the great things that uh, you love about the game, the equipment, especially the special equipment, the equipment that you hope to find, the equipment that you bring with you, that, you're, that you love more than anything else. And, and we're going to talk to help the GMs to decide how and when to give that equipment to you if it's some special artifact out in the fringe past and how to make sure that it doesn't wreck his campaign when he does. But the person who's going to lead us off on this is Otto. So, Otto, what you got? What happens to this cool stuff that you find out there, and how much cool stuff will you find? I usually like to think that part of the reason why you play the game, why you play Fringeworthy in particular, is because there's cool stuff out there to find. And it can be anything from any time or any kind of, I mean, it can be interdimensional. It can be completely weird tech. And, and that's sort of like the beauty of playing Fringeworthy as opposed to playing, say, a space game where you're running around and you're, you know, I guess you could find some alien artifacts. But, you know, you're pretty much finding the same kind of stuff all the time. I like to make, have it make an appearance. And I like it to be somewhat frequent but not overpowering. Find some neat stuff that is useful and cool and has its place, but is not you know too crazy. And uh, we were talking about like what happens to that. You know, if the character comes back with this item and does he give it to Idet? And if he does, does he ever see it again? Does it ever make an appearance again? And I'd like to say that that our group when we played was a little too stingy with that. It didn't make a reappearance, and I don't know if that was because we jumped around a lot or because. The game master, you know, forgot that we turned it in and never thought to bring it up again or what. But I think that you need to, if you're going to be running this game and, and you want to encourage players to turn stuff in, which is sort of the idea behind IDET, then you need to reintroduce it to the game. And you need to let players have access to these things again to encourage them to turn it in in the first place. Well, the technology that you find out there or the special items, uh, if they are too special, you know, if they're like too advanced or they're too unique, then you're probably not going to see them again. Unless, of course, IDET has no use for them. If you find a shield of Alexander, for example, uh, or the circlet of Diana, and it has no actual value other than antiquity, it's not antiquity on your world. It's antiquity on an, an alternate. So while it might look really cool, it's not actually something that any of the museums on Earth would be you know, killing themselves to get their hands on. So IDET might very well turn around and say, well, yeah, you can keep that. That's a good keepsake for your adventure. That'd be fine. I think there would be a wing of in various museums of alternate world finds. 
the duplicate Mona Lisa collection would be amazing all by itself. But is that something that iDebt's going to keep away from you if you find it and you want and you want to keep? They could just make a replica of it because it's not the original anyway. So a replica of the what the the replica, you know, it's not a big deal. So I could see museums wouldn't have too much of grief carrying a replica of that item that you found. We would want to have, for example, a statue of David with the arms still attached. We'd like to bring that back and send it around the uh, I mean a uh, statue of Venus with the arms still attached and the head Venus. So we'd like to get the statue of Venus with the arms still attached and send it around the world so everyone can say, hey, that's what it originally looked like before the arms got broken off. But it wouldn't change the fact that the statue with the arms broken off is the real statue of Venus. And therefore, that one at some point could either be sent back to the world it came from or it might actually end up you know, in, in the hands of a private collector or even a player character. It has an interesting value culturally, but it isn't something that would be clamored after for possession unless you were somebody who wanted to collect all kinds of alternate things. I don't know. I'm not sure about that because it is real. It's not from our world, but it is from another world and it is therefore just as real as our uh, Venus de Milo. There we agree to disagree. A lot of finds made in other worlds would be sought after by historians, if nothing else, just for their counterfactual historical information they can give. The, the stuff I was really thinking of was, let's say you're on some world and, and it's a ruined world and you find a case of laser guns or something. I don't know, something like that, rail guns or something. And you bring them back and I did, you know, figures out how to repower them or whatever. Then I could see IDET handing them out for certain missions. Oh, you guys are going on a, on a really super dangerous mission, such and such. Here, we're going to issue you guys these laser guns that you found. Or you're going into a future world where they have this kind of stuff. So we're going to issue this to you so that you're prepared to deal with it. Um, or you fit in better. Or you fit in better, right. That, I mean, that's the kind of stuff I was thinking of, where you find some kind of really cool um, suit that protects you from all kinds of stuff. And, and IDET figures out how to, you know, the game master might say, all right, well, you found this thing, and it's not too hard to replicate once the engineer's got a chance to get a hold of it and back engineer it. So now they're making these so that you guys can have them for the French paths. And they may even release them into the to the regular world, too. Who knows? But the point of the matter is, is that, you know, finding cool stuff like that if the, the game master makes it so that the players can you know can get access to these sort of things again once they turn it into IDET, not all of them of course, but but you know some of the ones that are not too powerful on balancing, then sure they, they should they should the game master should encourage that. In my game, the players ran into a queller and the queller was busy making something out of tamellar plastic. And he was mixing it in his little arms and squirting it out and forming whatever shape he wanted to. And one of his players said, hey, could he make some body armor for me? And I said, well, I mean, he doesn't quite know what you want. But as you explain that you want something that wraps around your chest, he essentially makes you the equivalent of a vest out of tamalin plastic. And so this this is really, really tough plastic. You hit it with, with a 50 caliber shell and it's not going through. However, it would knock you head over heels. And so he, he's been wearing it ever since. He took it back to IDET. He said, hey, look at this. They said, oh, great. This is a strange plastic. They, they try to get some scrapings off of it. They, I think they succeeded getting something off of it. But it had no real utilitarian purpose other than it being on the player. I mean, it was exactly matched to fit his physical 
form. You just couldn't take it and give it to somebody else. And after they ran their battery test against it, they said, here, you have it back. You know, go ahead and use it out there on the French Pass. Uh, and so he's been wearing it ever since. So there, there are a lot of things that you could find that really aren't going to make a big difference, as, even though they're really high tech or something that would be really awesome. But it's some, not something that IDIC can reproduce uh, very easily or in any great amount of time. So they say, oh, yeah, sure, have it right back. Not only that, but they're not just going to sit on something that can help one of their explorers find more stuff and get more information and survive longer right. if they can't reproduce it themselves easily if it's economic if it's not economically feasible it's not just going to sit on a shelf that's that's retarded that'd be stupid if you find neat stuff you turn it in and the gm doesn't give it back to you there is that tendency to go of not wanting to turn it in and there is a pocket stop on the prime node where you can probably make a cache and put that needle uh, weapon you found there for your own per- personal use gms out there there's a temptation if you don't give the players back some of these neat stuff they find later on use, they're going to have a better reason to hide it someplace on the fringe pass so they can later recover it and use it later. And from 20 years of experience, that's exactly what happens. I haven't had that much problem with that sort of thing because uh, in most cases, they the IDET has given them a lot of credit for it or they paid them in some way. They gave them a bonus saying, you brought this technology back, you can't use it right away, but you know we really appreciate you doing that. So here, Here's, you know, we're going to put your name at the front of the line when it comes to requisitioning equipment. And, you know, any kind of special equipment that needs to be fabricated. They got themselves a, a boat, a trimaran, that IDED had spent a lot of time designing so it could fit through a portal and then spread out so they could then use it on another world. And so when they needed it, it was there for them because they brought stuff back to IDED. And IDED knew that, hey, these are guys we can trust. They're, they're giving us the, all the stuff they can. We're going to... We're going to support them. Plus, there's your vacationing. That might be another perk. You know, they say, well, you know, these guys are trustworthy. They bring stuff back. They turn it in. They're not, you know, they're not people are just going to disappear. They they actually like their jobs. And so, yeah, if they want to go vacation, you know, we'll even give them access to some data. They can search the data banks and find a cool world to hang out on. Mm-hmm. Spend the times in the Baths of Londinium on the uh, Patrimona world. Right. <laughs> right. But one of the ways that GMs can give great, cool stuff to people is by going to a world and saying, hey, there's lots of stuff on this world. However, it's so advanced that we we can't reproduce it on Earth. So we're going to bring back a truckload of this stuff so that the people back at IDET can have fun with it, showing it around and experimenting on it. But there's still enough left over that they're not going to feel stingy about letting us have it. So you can get your vest that is made out of tumeller plastic, or you can get some kind of a coat that turns into a device that makes you able to climb up walls or hover boots or whatever crazy thing that, that makes, really makes you happy as a player. You know, the, the GM shouldn't be stingy about that sort of thing. He should look for opportunities to bring that into the campaign so that you can really get the cool stuff and, and, and really enjoy your game experience. Oh dear. I was a bad boy during my time in the military when I ran my campaign. The players found the equivalent of a Meller sex shop. But we won't go any farther than nice. that. <laughs> I actually had a Melon sex shop, not a Meller sex shop. That's even worse to think oh, about. I was going to say, what kind of leather and well, whatever. Let's keep it clean in the sense of say, because of what the Meller are, you went into a Meller sex shop, and one of the devices you found there was something that could change your external appearance between genders. 
And that might be very useful for you to have, say, one of your player characters is female, and you go to a world where the women have no status. Well, she puts on the uh, girdle of masculinity, femininity, trademark, and suddenly she's now Carl instead of Carlita, and she goes on and has the adventure, but then she can change back afterwards. So that could be cool, or it could be a little booth that you go into and it happens. People find little remnants of technology that they can't move, but they can go over to the world and and use them. That that makes the the Fringe Pass more interesting, and it also, again, provides a lot of time moving from place to place, getting all these pieces together to do the adventure that they're trying to do. We've actually set up a kind of a drop message system because some of the worlds they went to were problem portals where they went through and they couldn't come back for a certain period of time. They now bring like an easel with a place to put a sheet of paper where they'll write a message like saying, we can't come back. We're going to keep trying. But in the meantime, this is what's been happening to us. And if you could like throw through some equipment, we could really appreciate it because, you know, we need this and this and this. Time can pass a lot on a world like that where you can't come back for a couple of months. But at the same time, iDeck can still be supporting you. With the time dilation, a little too late for the easel. I guess you put the easel up before you go in and say, okay, we're here, if we're, and we went on such such date and so forth. And if you come back and realize it's been three months since we last saw them, they haven't come back out again. Okay, there may be a problem. You're misunderstanding, John. They use one of the devices that has a camera that goes through the portal and comes back out on a wheel so that the the wheel goes through, but they snatch the camera off, and then they develop the pictures from the camera, and they can see what was actually on the easel on the other side. Oh, I got you. But if it's a... I always get the impression that with time shifted, if you try the, the, the little wheel thing, the wheel goes through, it doesn't come back out again. No, it will go through until it completes the transit, and then it won't transit back. That's true. Yeah. Important plot point to you folks out there. (laughs) It's not really a time dilation. It's just simply a a delay before the portal will allow you to transit back. There are worlds in which time travels faster or slower on that world than it does on the rest of the fringe path. I'm just talking about a world where the portal itself simply does not operate in the reverse direction for a certain period of time. Even on time accelerator, time slow down worlds, till you translate through, you're still operating on normal time. Otherwise, you would die in the process going through the portal. You go through, and then time catches up with you, and you you kick off again. To the people in the world, either you'd be coming through like molasses, or you'd be like popping out very fast. That's actually kind of funny. The thought of somebody popping out of the portal. <laughs> we touched on the inner relationship between teams, just a hair there. And I think it's something that we should also bring up in this conversation is that I think that the community is going to be so small inside of the station, inside of IDET even, of the Fringe really, because there's so few of them, that I think just about every member is going to know every other member. Maybe not on a personal level. Maybe they don't all go out and drink beers together. But I think they're all going to know each other probably by first name for the most part. And I would imagine that most of them are going to have some kind of camaraderie with the other ones because we were, you know, we're talking about forming teams and stuff. And I think generally, you know, you're going to have you have teams of, say, 10 or whatever. If you only have six players, it's a good place to stick in four NPCs. And those are the ones you keep rotating so that the the other players get to know all the other people in the in the um, in the station. And plus, that can always be spots for expertise that the players don't cover that a mission might need. Maybe nobody played anybody who has any computer specialty, and you go, all right, well, one of your NPCs is going to be a computer specialist because you're going to need that for this mission, and it's going to be 
Joe Blow computer guy. And then, you know, he might only be on you with that for that mission. And then, you know, six months down the road, you might say, yeah, you know, you know, the guy Joe Blow that traveled with you guys or whatever, well, his team went missing. And that's where the players might say, oh, well, we want to be on the team to go get him. Resist the urge to turn those four NPCs into the red shirt team. Because there is the loving temptation to show how badass the villains are and have them kill off one of the NPCs. That is so cliched these days. Uh, I wouldn't actually suggest doing it. I mean, you know, treat them like any other player character, even though that they are NPCs. In fact, a good rule of thumb I find it works sometimes. If you have players who have over-specialized in one area or not, let them play an NPC who specializes in the other area. So they actually have something to do when their character would just be sitting around, you know, cleaning his gun uh, otherwise. Oh, yeah, that was sort of my point, was that you want to endear the players to the other members in the organization. So, yeah, I'm not saying put them on the team to get them killed off or to, to give you somebody to kill, although you may want to at some point, once a player has endeared himself to a certain character or a certain NPC, that might be a really good point to say, look, I really need the players to be energized about this mission to do this, to get this guy or, or, or to, to save these people, whatever. And you may decide, I'm going to kill this guy, but as a major plot point, not as just a red shirt, but as like, this is going to motivate my players to do what I need them to do. That might be the only key for the whole mission. It may not be any money reward. There may not be any other kind of reward other than, hey, man, they killed Charlie. You can always hook up with some of these other team members as well. Right. Uh, I could just see this right now. We lie comes over and she says, oh, John. I'm going on this mission over on, you know, negative one, seven. And I really would like to use that little disc you have that can record anything that anyone says. Could you lend that to me? And all of a sudden, that special thing that you've had all this time, you got to give it up for a short period of time because, hey, you've got this relationship going and you kind of feel like you should do that. At the same time, not to, you know, to screw the players over, there's lots of equipment that some of these other characters would have that you might want to go and ask them to use their equipment as well. But at the same time, not feeling like, oh, I have to, I get to keep this now. So you could keep moving around yeah. the, the special items that you bring into your campaign by developing these relationships between members of the teams. So if we like, actually, I sort of imagine her to be a cute little Asian chick. So I'd probably go, oh, yeah, here you go. <laughs> she, she's talking to me. Uh. <laughs> well, she's totally cute in the book. They got her in a whole anime firing the rifle thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that picture of her in the book is great. I, I like to find out who, who drew that. That's a great picture. And since you know she's slightly empathic, that means that she shows that she likes you. She really likes you. Right. And you would – yeah, that's true. Yeah. So if you come on like a total horn dog, she's not going to show any interest. But if you show a little savoir faire with her, you know, at the same time, I imagine she's pretty political. So therefore, you'd have to have an open mind as well. So – you know, all these characters are going to have, you know, I, I think Sun Yuri is, it would be the harder one to date. Talk about coming from a totally different culture. That whole Japanese thing is, yeah. is pretty inscrutable to most people. Yeah, and also everyone knows that she's damaged goods. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> <laughs> she looks fine to me. Yeah, but every so often she'll go off and just get this strange look in her face and say something. You realize, like, I'm right to suck her down because she's something really important. You know, thank you, Schmert. <laughs> you never know when all of a sudden there's going to be a click and the combat personality is going to come out and, and she's going to be a totally different person, you know. 
at least that's what everyone's afraid of. As so poor son, son Yuri is, and everyone looks at her kind of askance because you know, they never know what's really going on. And let's not forget, there's also interpersonal relationships within the support staff at the base because not everybody's friends worthy. You know, you have people, you have cooks, you have you're going to have craftsmen that are that are on site because you need stuff made, right? You can't send away for everything. You can't send away for repair parts for everything. It's just it's too far to travel. And yes, you do have other worlds that you're trading with and everything. But to be self-sufficient is generally the most economical way to go about it. Because if you need a part for something, you need it right away, or at least within you know within a couple of days. You don't want to have to rely. Well, maybe they have it, maybe they don't. Maybe we can send for it, maybe we can't. I'm a draftsman engineer by trade. They're these uh, what are called CAD cams. So you draw it up and you draw something up in 3D using 3D modeling, and then you can send it to a printer. Is one type of thing you can send it to. You can also send it to a lathe. You can send it to a press. But they have these machines that read these 3D drawings and they make these items. Depending on what the item is, uh, you might use a you might use a metal lathe, or you might use a, a press if it's a flat piece of metal that can be bent into a shape, or drilled out. Or they have 3D printers, which are really cool. They they literally print the uh, layer by layer, and then they they do it in two materials. There's the keep material and the sacrifice material, and the sacrifice material just breaks away or dissolves, and then what's left over is your item. If you combine that with a 3D scanner, let's say, for example, you you got a vehicle that you had shipped there, and a part breaks on it, and it turns out, oh, crap, we don't have any more of those parts. Well, we could send back to the States for a new part, or which might take a couple weeks, or we could just scan it in or maybe even the computer has those parts on file which would probably be most most likely would have all those parts in 3d on file you send it to the 3d printer it prototypes a new piece for you, you put it right on the vehicle i've been reading up on the, on the things and fortunately the majority of them use plastic so you, you can repro a plastic part metal parts you probably want to run the computer well, control lathe and maybe laser cutting system. But John this is the near future you right. can do whatever you want to in your campaign i know I tend to be a realist. The printers work because they're working with chemical slurry, and it's not pure metal. If I'm going to put a spare part on my Ford Escort to go on the fringe path, I want to make sure it's the right part. I think your first mistake, John, is driving a Ford Escort. Ford Escort, yes. <laughs> but also, let's not forget, that, that plastic part could then be used as a mold, and then you could put that in a foundry and then cast a metal piece in its place. And then mill it and yep. properly right. and, right. and Tolerance. The, the point of the matter is you could take a 3D model and within 24 hours actually have the part you need that would take weeks to get from the fly-in. Or if it's during that three-month period where you can't fly anything in, you have that part on hand. But what's even cooler is that let's say your group is driving an alien vehicle that's really cool and IDET's like, well, we're not going to take it. You know, it's it's there's one vehicle. You guys can have it. I don't care. Um, you know, maybe they, they researched it for some things and, you know, have taken what they can use or, or implemented what they can use. But then something breaks on it and you happen to have been – you happen to have made friends with the guy who works in the shop. And he goes, oh, yeah, sure. He throws the thing up on a 3D scanner, prints you out a new one, remolds it, sticks it on your vehicle and you're off, you know, for a part that you couldn't possibly get anywhere else. That's true. And also don't forget the, the rotating security guards. Basically, the militaries of each of the UN countries are going to be sending down a contingent, I'd probably no more than maybe 100 troops, to, well, guard the portal because it has to be guarded. 
it is a gateway to our world, and if someone were to come through, say, pirates or heaven forbid a meller, you would need some sort of troop presence there. Constantly rotating, probably every six months, another company would be sent to there, and they set up shop, and they, they're going to be spending the winter, or they're going to be spending the summer there, uh, depending on when they show up. So you would have that too. So one winter it'll be the Chinese, next that summer may be the Russians. Next time it's the Americans, then it's later on it's the British. Uh, so you always have the troops being sent down there, there on a constant basis. And there probably would be winter troops, if anything else. So you probably could see them again uh, later on if it's still within their tour of duty. If you develop a relationship with some of the members of these troops, it would give you a reason when you're not actively exploring, your team members could go up and visit them in their homes, in their countries that they're from, and they have a reason to go there. True. And don't forget, you know, I mean, soldiers are, are an obvious choice of something that you would have there, but, you know, let's not overlook some of the other guys that would be fun to hang out, other girls, guys that would be fun to hang out with. You know, the cook, uh, and the mess hall people, you know, your characters want to eat well, and, and you make friends with the mess hall guys, and you're eating steak some nights when other people are eating, you know, whatever slop was left over. Uh, you want to make friends with your supply sergeant. He's the guy you really want to be friends with. You know, that's the guy you drink with. That's the guy you bring booze to. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Lots of uh, gifts. Yeah. Lots of gifts to the supply sergeants. If you really want to get good with the cook, you go, you go to the hunting lodge come back with a bison. There you go. Here you go. Buffalo meat for everyone. <laughs> Supplying Hatsumi base from the fringe path? John, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> well, I'm talking some good lean meat. I mean, that is probably the leanest meat you're ever going to get outside of growing it yourself someplace. Well, even better yet, you bring him back an animal he's never had before or ever seen. Because, you know, most cooks like to get their hands on something that they've never had before. Yeah, what's pterodactyl taste like? Let's exactly. find out. Here we go. Uh, yeah, we got this giant sloth. Now, giant sloths... Now, that just sounds actually, bad, John. <laughs> I know, but giant sloths are actually somewhat bulletproof, so they're actually kind of hard to kill. You actually would probably need uh, heavy weapons to take down a giant sloth. Okay, but uh, what you were talking about, the, the people that you interact on Hatsumi Base, I suggested in the book that you have a advocate for your team, someone whose job was to be the interface between you and the higher-ups in the organization and to do the paperwork, to follow up on requisitions to make sure they didn't get lost. I did that to just kind of take some of the grunt work out of actually doing that sort of thing so the players wouldn't have to role-play it. At the same time, have a reasonable expectation that it would get done i did it so that it would speed things up in the game but it also allows the gm to introduce complexity that person you now have a relationship with you want that person to work well for you and so you want to explain yourselves clearly to them be friends with that person and if that person gets into trouble if that person has their own personal issues they're going to bring them to you and maybe you might need to help them deal with them it's your team fixer. That's his entire job is to make sure your team's wrapped and ready to go. He's the one that does the requisition for your equipment. So you got to be good friends with this guy. Otherwise, he may not requisition everything you actually need You know, if you, if you take him off or he's having an off day. You're listening to the Fringeworthy Podcast. 
that's absolutely awesome, Otto, all the stuff that you brought up, and you too, John. I just think it's great. that That's one of the things that really I love about the game is the fact that you can have all these really cool things, and as you go along, you kind of build up a lot of interest to your character, really specialize your character out in the ways that you want to go. And the fact that, of course, that all these items add more flair and excitement to the game, I just think it's great. And, and I hope that people will make suggestions as the kind of cool equipment that they've add to their game and things that they might like want to do. So until next time. This is Bruce Shepard from Atlanta saying, remember, there are millions of worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John from Seattle, and remember, keep your powder dry and keep those cards and layers coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, don't shoot the portals. They shoot back. Tritech.